Drinks, food, art, fun. This is Hops and Spirits Kentucky. I think Mother Nature is just trying to trick us every week here lately, it seems. One day it's 30, snowing. Next day it's rainy, 50. Then later on in the week it's 70 and sunny. Uh, as long as I've lived here, I still can't figure out how Kentucky weather works. we got a great episode for you this week. I know that. That is in the works. We talk with Crank and Boom founder or owner, Tao Green, uh, to hear her story about how it all came to be. It's a really cool story. You won't want to miss that. But before we do, let's get into what's pouring Kentucky. Warm up your pipes. Night Kitty is now open in Lexington, situated on the ground floor of the Lex, which is at the corner of Oliver Lewis Way and South Broadway. The karaoke bar will include a main room and private rooms that can be booked for parties. Jack Brown's Beer and Burger Joint is officially open at 155 North Limestone, the former Oscar Diggs spot. The menu is full of burgers made with 100% American Wagyu beef. Three things, though, you won't see. Lettuce, tomato, and ranch. So don't even ask for it. You can, but they'll probably politely tell you they don't have it. And in some sad news, in the Lexington food and uh, drink scene, Lexington Diner has closed its doors after nine years in business. The restaurant announced on its Facebook page. The diner originally started out downtown before moving to the Gardenside neighborhood. Um, with a little bit of fun for those in the cocktail world or those gin lovers, you can sip on Castle and Key's Rye Seasonal Gin, which is back for good. Due to popularity, the distiller is transitioning to two recipe releases per year, Rise in the Spring and Summer and Harvest for the Fall and Winter. The Spring-inspired bottle is now available at Castle and Key Distillery in Frankfurt. And if you haven't checked out the distillery out there, you need to. It's gorgeous out there. Um, the history and architecture dates way back, and it is just a beautiful place to go check out. And they have some pretty good pours, too, especially if you're a bourbon lover, uh, in case you're not a big gin fan. Uh, in beer news, uh, specifically over in Louisville, Atrium Brewing recently celebrated the grand opening of its Norton Commons Taproom at Lyric Apartment Complex in Louisville. It will be the second location for the Experimental Shelby Park Brewery, which is known for its dessert-flavored sour beers. And the Portland neighborhood in Louisville will welcome a new brewery and beer garden soon. Kairos Brewing will be located in the back of Farm to Fork, which is at 2425 Portland Avenue, and is the adventure, adventure of three Louisville couples. Also in that neighborhood, you got Against the Grains Production Facility and Shipping Port Brewery is also located there. But up next is our Q&A with Tao Green and Crank and Boom Ice Cream. I hope you enjoy. Remember to check out Hops and Spirits on social media at Hop Spirits, all one word, on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, and Twitter. You can also find Hops and Spirits on YouTube and at hopspirits.com. Joining us here for our Q&A this week, she's the owner of Crank and Boom. Also, Bobby Cones is her, her newest venture, and she's also got some more fun up her sleeves here soon. Please welcome in Tao Green. Hello. How are you? I'm good. I just and realized did... that we're, we're cousins as another green, <laughs> green with an E and other green. And sometimes... I'll say that like what <laughs> just kidding it's just because our last names but <laughs> hey you never know you just never know along the way we might have just added an e and that's how we became uh, uh, slightly different <laughs> that's true that's true well thank you for having me on today I'm real excited to chat absolutely and and before we get into you know all the the fun you've had in the business world and 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 maybe dive into some of the background of, of your your history on all this. Can you give me the cliff notes version about yourself? Not everything, because like I said, we got some good questions, but at least a little cliff notes for those that might not know exactly who you are. Sure. My name's Tao Green. I am owner-operator of 
Crank and Boom Craft Ice Cream and Bobby Cones, along with my uh, dear, lovely husband, Mike Green. And we run our business. Um, we have two little kiddos, age three and five. So we're also trying to juggle uh, the life of being parents to young kids while also running our business. Uh, I'm a daughter of immigrant parents who came uh, to the States in the 70s from Thailand. And I have a big sister and a brother-in-law and a niece and an aunt and a and a grandma, grandma-in-law. So our whole family's around here. Um, I love food. Um, I love snacks. Um, I love uh, meeting new people. And I love talking about business, like nerdy business things. And so I'm excited to chat and I love being here in Lexington, Kentucky. And yeah. Anything well, you want to know, happy, happy to share. I was going to say, you you talk about the love of, of food and everything. That's clearly if, like you said, Crank and Boom ice cream, Bobby Cone's um, soft serve ice cream. So clearly a food realm there. But that's not what you went to school for and kind of got your right. first start in. So how, how does one, because you went for what, journalism and, and public relations or something on those lines? I did. Yeah. I, so I grew up in Frankfurt and worked in my family's Thai restaurant is the first Thai restaurant in Frankfurt. It still is the only Thai restaurant in Frankfurt. My parents sold it to another family who's still running it today. It's called Thai smile. And I worked in that restaurant from age seven to 18. And I left Kentucky to go to school in North Carolina in Chapel Hill and slam the door on Kentucky, swearing that I'd never work in food and that I would never come back to Kentucky again. So, you know, be careful what you wish for, because uh, <laughs> none of those things happen. I was a good Kentucky girl and boomeranged back home and loved being back home and then kind of ooched back into food, even though I went to school for journalism. But when I left, I was initially going to do pre-med. And then once I realized that, uh, college classes are hard and I don't actually like science that much when it's hard. Like it's fun when it's easy. And so I had a really hard time in school and adjusting to being so far away from home, uh, failed some classes. I thought about business school and then I failed the prereqs to those classes. So I couldn't even apply to get into business school because I had failed accounting. I had failed statistics, you know, all the prereqs that you have to actually do well to get into business school. So I didn't really know what to do with myself and had a list of majors that I could still do and still graduate in four years. That was my goal. I was like, I just want to get done in four years and just kind of plucked journalism thinking that was, that seemed like pretty tolerable. And I didn't really, you know, I, I thought writing was okay. And I thought I could do okay. And there were some other options like public policy and, and even art. I considered art and then just kind of landed into journalism and then fell in love with it because the school was called the School of uh, Journalism and Mass Communications. And as a part of the major, they had you learn how to build a website. And this is when you, you know, this was not, this was before the days of WordPress. So you had to code everything by hand to build a website. So I learned those skills. Uh, I fell in love with graphic design, uh, fell in love with photography and marketing. And so it, it really was like the universe just pushed me into this place that I didn't even know that I needed to be. So yeah, I ended up with a journalism and public relations degree, which I use all the time now. And then all those other skills uh, that I happened to learn along the way. And I found myself lost in the computer lab, loving this work 
and came home and got a job in PR and marketing and decided I did not really like an office job and uh, went on some adventures around the world, came back to Lexington and uh, decided, I was like, maybe I should get back into restauranting and which my parents had already sold the restaurant and they're like, you were going to do something else. So I, I uh, convinced them to come out of semi-retirement to open Thai Orchid Cafe in 2006. Uh, even when I was in college though, I had the, the, the pool of being in food. Cause I, I loved cooking for my friends. And I found that was a really nice way to make friends was to cook for them. And I miss that being in service and hospitality and taking care of people and, and uh, the chaos and complete insanity that is like running and like working in a restaurant. I actually missed it after I had, you know, run away from it. It was, I guess it was just deep in my bones that I couldn't, I couldn't get away from it. I was going to say, I mean, you ended up back in the, in the food world. Was it weird kind of going that route and then not just that route but being you know you got you were the the co-owners and and everything so it was kind of a little different side for you then too oh absolutely and you know when we started Thai Orchid Cafe it was my parents that owned the business and I was working in it as a manager and my only experience had been you know as a child doing different tasks but there were so many things that I didn't appreciate that have to happen in the background that my parents took care of, you know, paying taxes and, you know, paying people and making sure that the cash drawer, like all these little things that you just don't appreciate when you're a kid. Um, but, you know, I was able to pull back on those skills and honestly, opening the restaurant felt like coming home. It felt very natural. It felt like this is what we are supposed to be doing. And, you know, I, I learned how to cook on a whole different level, standing side by side on the line, actually cooking in the restaurant with my mom, which is a whole different experience, you know, again, from when I was a kid. So that education in itself, the cooking school of, of Sue and Kat, my parents is, you know, invaluable and something that I'll really cherish forever. Well, and it was there at the, 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 the restaurant where ice cream kind of became on the menu as a, as a dessert option. Uh, can you talk a little bit about why that was and, and how kind of the be really this is where Crank and Boom began? True. Yeah, it's uh, uh, people will ask me, you know, how did how did you get into ice cream? I was like, well, it just it kind of happened by accident, but not accident. So after five years or so of running the restaurant with my parents, they were ready to retire again. And um, so my husband and I purchased the restaurant from them and I started looking for some, you know, something fun to do for dessert. And there's this amazing coconut ice cream that is available everywhere in Thailand and gas stations on the street. It was just, it's just my favorite and the way they would serve it. Um, and everyone serves it differently, but one of my favorite ways it was served was, uh, three scoops and a hot dog bun with peanuts and, um, condensed milk sprinkled on top. It just, sounds a little odd, but it was, it's phenomenal. So I wanted to replicate that same coconut ice cream here where, you know, in Lexington, Kentucky, I didn't really know if there was a place that I could get it. And I just thought maybe it'd be fun if we just tried to make it. I mean, it doesn't sound like it's that hard. And so I got a machine off of Amazon, just a little $60 Cuisinart homemaker. And I didn't know how, I've never made ice cream before. So, so I watched 
watched some YouTube videos on how to use the machine and found a random Thai coconut ice cream recipe and tweaked it a little bit and started making our first batches of ice cream, which was coconut. And we would serve it with a little uh, yellow strip of jackfruit on top. And, and it was lovely. And I was just so excited because we could make, you know, two quarts is, you know, the equivalent to like half of a big gallon of milk. So it's maybe three to four to five servings, depending on how you scoop. And I would just get so excited because we make one batch a day and we would sell out. <laughs> it's like, this is great. And started, you know, making other flavors and um, it just became this outlet for me because I'd been, you know, on the line for 14, 16 hours a day, making Thai food every day, all day, every day. And this ice cream was this new fun outlet for me because I'm just naturally a creative person. I like doing new things and making new things and love, you know, creating food. So the ice cream was canvas for me to pull in different random ingredients. The, the second flavor I made was sweet potato pie, actually. And it was from, made from sweet potatoes from our partner farm at the time, Elmwood Stock Farm there in Georgetown. And I just thought, how cool would it be to bring in local ingredients from our local farms who are already working with, and we're already going to the farmer's market. Why don't we pick up some blackberries or pick up some strawberries and see what happens when we smoosh them into ice cream. And what I found was that it made the most amazing ice cream because at the time ice cream had been so commercialized that, you know, a lot of, a lot of places will basically just take flavoring that's in a bottle or a can, and then they mix it with a mix that's got a lot of ingredients that you can't pronounce. And then you mass produce it and send it to the masses. And I felt like how be to kind of go back to basics with, you know, no cream, sugar, salt. It's delicious. And ta-da, you get this amazing ice cream. When did it really become more than just dessert at the cafe and become that little, you know, that cart that you could take out to events and, and do stuff? I mean, when did you kind of realize you had something more there? Well, there's this one pivotal moment. I mean, it, it kept happening over and over. People coming into the restaurant and asking for ice cream, which had no name at the time. It was just ice cream. They would ask for that and they wouldn't order Thai food and we're a Thai restaurant. And it kept happening over and over. And they would say, oh, okay, well, I'll just grab an extra pint of ice cream to, you know, which was packaged in an unmarked soup container. And I'll just take that home with me as a part of my dinner. Sometimes they would come just for ice cream. But one of the real pivotal moments was it one day, one night in January when it was blizzarding, you know, like a sideways blizzard where you look out and it just looks white. And we still, you know, the restaurant was still open. So we, I was just sitting out front. Nobody was in there because everyone was at home. And I saw a car pull up in the middle of this blizzard and a lady who had this kind of Eskimo parka was all bundled up and she she ran into the restaurant and I asked her what I what would you like what you know what can I get for you and she said oh I'm just here for the ice cream and so she had traveled wherever she had traveled from to just come to our little Thai restaurant to get ice cream in the middle of a blizzard in January and I remember looking at my husband and thinking maybe this is like something, you know, this is, I mean, this is crazy. I like, who does that? 
And we thought, well, you know, if if we were able to, because we're still making it on the Cuisinart at this point, if we were able to get a commercial machine, how how much would we be able to make? And what does that look like? And, you know, the summer times are kind of slow in, in the month, so maybe we can go to um, like festivals in the summertime and take a little ice cream cart and a tent and go serve ice cream. And that sounds like that could be like a fun little side, side job. <laughs> you know, at the time, I don't know what it was. We, we decided, okay, well, let's just go and, and do this as a summer thing, as a supplement to what we're doing at the restaurant. And I felt, well, we didn't want to do was go out and call it tight orchid cafe ice cream. Cause I feel like that would just, that would just really confuse people. And even when we started and we got the name crank and boom and, you know, we had the purple tent, we uh, worked with a company to brand it out and just make this big splash when we started to do events. And, you know, that's when we were cranking boom 10 years ago, it's been 10 years, which is amazing. Um, and we just were like, well, let's just go do events. And I just started, I just wanted to get the ice cream in front of people. So I just said yes to every event. I looked up every single festival within probably a 60 mile radius. And I, you know, if you have a 10 person party, birthday party, like we'll be there. I just, I just wanted people to try it. And I, my strategy was, I was like, I'm just going to suffocate the community until they just like, everybody knows who we are. And by the end of the season, people are like looking for the purple tent because we were literally everywhere. And, you know, that's how it, it started to just become a thing. And I just, people asked and I said, yes. And we'd show up to events and sometimes we would lose a lot of money and sometimes we wouldn't sell anything at all, but I really just wanted to, to get ourselves out there. Well, and it seems to have worked pretty well. Um, you know, you ended up getting a, a location down in, in the, the distillery district to, to kind of launch everything. What, what put, how did you find that spot and what made you guys decide a storefront was kind of the, the next logical step? Well, we're going out to these events uh, for several summers, two, three summers. And everyone would ask, Oh, where, well, where's your store? And we would tell them we're at, you know, we have this Thai restaurant or you can get our stuff at good foods co-op, the local grocery store. And it seemed to confuse people. And then eventually the conversation became, instead of where is your shop, it became, will you all please open a store? And, and it, you know, similar to, I you know, people being more interested in ice cream than Thai food, it just kept happening over and over again. And more and more people just kept saying, you know, you should, you should probably open a store. Like, we would love if you had a store. Can you please open a store? <laughs> and you know, we had the, the restaurant, which is a full is its own full-time thing. And then we're doing this ice cream, which had become its own full-time thing. And the thought of having another retail brick and mortar location was not very attractive to me because our plate was already very full. And I just didn't really see how that would all fit in with our very full schedule already. But um, we had a friend who dropped off his card over at our um, cart and said, Hey, I'm a, I'm a real estate agent. I have some spots that I think you all should open a store in. And I thought, yeah, yeah, that's nice. And I opened up the email with some few spots that he had sent to me. And I sent them to my, to, to Mike, my husband. And 
And we were both like real estate nerds. Like we just, we just like looking at buildings for, you know, just for funsies. <laughs> and he used to be um, into renovating buildings and um, flipping buildings and stuff. So he, he already had an interesting building and we met through Habitat for Humanity. So we have this innate love for building stuff. And um, he said, he looked at one of the spots. He said, oh, that's, that's the building that I love. And he was talking about the Manchester location or now current Manchester location in the distillery district. And I said, why is that your building? He said, well, it's a, it's an old distillery next to downtown and it's a standalone building and no one's done anything with it yet. And so we took the opportunity to go check it out and fell in love with this broken down, um, you know, this, there were many holes in the floor from the, you could look up and see the second floor from the first floor. Uh, it was in bad shape. And, but I walked up the stairs and looked at that uh, upstairs room and just thought this would make an amazing dance party room. And that's when I really fell in love with the space. And the original vault is in that space. It's the old office for the distillery and thought how cool it would be. There were a few other businesses already kind of digging and scratching in the area. And we really crafted our own vision of what that whole area could become before it was really anything. And I think it's neat that that whole area has become what it is. And it's all, it's not only just small, all the business owners are local, but all the building owners are local as well. Um, I don't know if I can say that about the U-Haul building, but when we started, you know, all of the, all of the building owners were also local. So everyone is invested in creating this really cool thing that we could showcase for Lexington. But yeah, I feel like we're really lucky, but we also were the ones that had a vision for that building when other people had passed on it. I was going to say, it's an amazing spot and to see how far that, that area has come is, is really cool. And, you know, when, when you guys were building there, you, you obviously have all your flavors of ice cream, but I think one of the cooler things you guys did was you had those boozy options, which kind of before, to me, it became like this thing where everyone has something like that now. So what made you guys do yeah. that? Because that's a whole different process in terms of licenses and things like that. Um, yes. So so what, what pushed you to kind of add that to be unique? Well, I, you know, we really wanted it to be this cool, fun, you know, a place that wasn't just your typical ice cream shop that has white walls and feels very sterile. And, you know, I think there, you know, there's, there's a place for all sorts of ice cream places, but for us, we wanted to do something a little more edgy, a little more different and, you know, thinking we're in the distillery district, wouldn't it be fun to smash booze with ice cream? And, you know, at the time we had a bourbon and honey ice cream and a coffee stout ice cream that had booze infused into the ice cream, which at the time was a bit of a newer concept. And so that was new in itself. And I thought as a natural evolution of that, wouldn't it be cool if we had an ice cream shop that you could get a piece of chocolate cake and then some red wine and just enjoy it as a, as a way to like continue your night. So if you're going to dinner, okay, maybe I don't want to go home yet. Maybe I don't want to go hang out at a bar. Wouldn't it be cool to go get dessert and we can have a nightcap there instead of, you know, some of the other options. So it was just a way to create a space for people to have fun and to, you know, say, oh my gosh, this stuff is amazing. And I love the ice cream. And eventually we found out that most people were less interested in things like chocolate cake and really just wanted ice cream. So that's why the, the menu is what it is. 
and we do fun concoctions with ice cream and boozy floats and ice cream cocktails. And um, yeah, it's just, it's just been fun and it's unique. And I think that's part of what we're always wanting to do is to just be us and to do something fun and create something that is a little out of the box. Well, that might go back to that, that fun you had with marketing and communications and, and, and design work. Cause in addition to, you know, what you've done with the location, it, I feel like the flavors and everything you guys have put into, to ice cream has also been, been fun. Can you talk about being able to come up with something cool, unique, but source it locally too, and, and kind of be able to do something really cool like that? Yeah, I think, you know, honestly, you know, our community partnerships and local connections is really just finding great people that we want to work with. So, you know, it starts with our local farmers and then, you know, every once in a while something will pop up and, and we'll say like, oh, that sounds like a neat new product. Why don't we see if we can make an ice cream out of that? And, you know, so much of what we do is community build. And so much of what we wanted from the very beginning was, wouldn't it be amazing if we were able to partner with farmers and we got big enough to where, you know, so us purchasing items from them made an impact on their bottom line as well. So if as we grow, can we have, we can we help other people grow as well? And, you know, our honey provider, our um, strawberry farmer, he, um, this is Van Meter Farms out of Western Kentucky. They make a crop just for us. So they, we get, you know, around this time, we start talking about what's the crop going to look like and how much are we going to order. And we order usually between 3000 to 6,000 pounds of strawberries a year that we keep frozen throughout the year. And that's why we're able to have amazing strawberry ice cream in December when it's not strawberry season. But, you know, I just, I, I really love people and I really love building those connections. It makes me feel like more of a whole person. And I, I appreciate being able to make those connections and be able to hopefully show other people that it's more fun to do it with other people at the same time. Well, and, and you, I feel like you've even taken it a step beyond that with, you know, the community partners you have where you guys give back, um, you know, with the small batch club and th things like that. Why was that such an important kind of next step in the evolution of some of the stuff you guys have done? Well, my husband and I met through Habitat for Humanity. And so both of us are philanthropists at heart. And I just say ice cream happens to be my tool for my philanthropy. So from day one, when we started Thai Orchid, the community has always been a piece of what we do. And, you know, when we're just a little, little tiny family restaurant, we don't really have money to give, but we have food and we have our time and we have our space. So we would host fundraisers. We would um, use our, you know, very small social media platform to talk about community things. And I think it's just evolved from that as we've been able to grow, we've been able to do more. And honestly, my motivation for any sort of growth is the ability to do more philanthropy. That's really my heart and my soul. And the more people we can reach, um, I'm really passionate about small business and especially um, now that we've been, you know, I've been a small bit in small business for 20 years now, and we've got all, we've got some experience and we've got some stories and I'm just glad to be in a space where I can share it because it doesn't do anybody any good just living in my head. So I just want to be able to share that information and, and 
give back that way. But we have some really awesome programs that are just ingrained in our, our DNA right now. We work with feed backpack programs. So every week we're packing bags. I think we've packed over 10,000 food bags for kids um, in three elementary schools here in town. And those are bags of food that are non-perishable goods that kids can take uh, at home, take home over the weekend if they need some more support in the food arena. And then we have a, a program called Small Batch Club where we have four uh, recipients every quarter of the year that uh, benefit from our Small Batch Club flavors. So we have a new flavor every week and then proceeds from those uh, pints and those flavors go towards uh, those designated uh, organizations. And I'm excited that this year, I think we will hit um, $100,000 raised since 2020 that we've been able to raise through the small batch club. So, you know, those are some big milestones for us and just excited that we can make that sort of impact on our community as a, as a tiny little, you know, ice cream shop. I was going to say, it, it's amazing what food food can do sometimes and, and how it can actually truly give, give back to the community. And and you, you talk about being tiny, but you guys have expanded a little bit. You, you've got a second yeah. location at, at Clay's Mill, and then you got Bobby yeah. Cones out in, in Palomar. Can you talk about kind of expanding and then even leaving the kind of the crank and boom world of ice cream and going to the soft serve with, with Bobby Cones? Yeah, so, um, you know, I grew up going to Rupp Arena for basketball games and part of that whole experience, you know, other than watching basketball is to get the soft serve ice cream. And I've always loved soft serve and it's a whole, it's even though it's ice, still ice cream, it's a whole different product to me. And I just thought how fun it would be to have a cute little soft serve shop. And I had been thinking about it for, I don't know, probably five, six years on trying to do something to to do soft serve. And, you know, we had the option to maybe add it to crank and boom, but as a creative person, I always, I mean, I like challenges and I like doing new things. So we decided, um, I was like, maybe it'd be, now is the time we had the opportunity to go into our current spot in Palomar was open and thought that would be kind of the perfect place to have this spot. And we branded it with a cute little penguin and named it after our kids. And, uh, I go over there to get a chocolate cone as often as I can. It really kind of was for selfish purposes and to just <laughs> have a spot nearby that I could go and get my soft serve fix. Cause you know, at the time there wasn't really any, what I would call quality soft serve. I mean, you've got stuff at um, your fast food places and, and I think that has its, its own place, but I really wanted something that was a bit more high quality and, you know, not to get super nerdy on ice cream, but ice cream is actually a regulated uh, term that the government regulates. Similar to bourbon, you know, you can't just go out and make something and call it bourbon. It has certain requirements. So I, the term ice cream is actually the same. So I don't know if you knew that some weird ice cream trivia, but our Bobby Cones ice cream is actually real ice cream because it meets those requirements versus um, some other places that, you know, it looks like soft serve ice cream, but it's not, but I have to yeah, pay attention we're excited to that. To that. <laughs> uh, we could go, I mean, it could, we could talk a whole nother hour about like nerdy ice cream things, but um, it was really important to me to have something that was of high quality. And well, again, was another canvas for like fun, crazy things that we could do. Well, and, and, uh, and I love it too, because even though you might not have ended up in the science world, 
with your degree, I feel like you're definitely in it with everything you're, you're, you're still doing. Yeah. (laughs) There is a lot. It's amazing. It is like art. Yeah. It's like, um, it's a more fun science than being in a chemistry lab, but, um, yeah, we, Mike and I actually graduated from ice cream school, which was all food science. It was, it was kind of a nightmare (laughs) with all the, with, um, 13 days of 13 days, 13 hours of lecture a day. Um, no, seven days, sorry, 13 hours of lecture a day talking about ice cream science. So I could bore you to tears with all of that information if if you ever want it. It may be, maybe over some uh, soft server or, or maybe a boozy float. We'll, we'll have to see. But you, you, you've also Love got it. some other fun projects coming up. Uh, I, I believe, you know, this drops here shortly on a Monday from when we're talking. And I think maybe like a week after that is your own podcast. Yeah. So can you want to talk about the Crank and Boom podcast? I'd love to. So the the latest project um, in the Crank and Boom world is the Crank and Boom podcast uh, with Tal Green. And I this, again, is just something that I've been thinking about for probably about two years um, when I started really getting into podcasts. And uh, I'm not a big reader, but I, I absorb information better through audio and visuals. So I was consuming all sorts of podcasts, listening to business things and life things and self-development things and marketing things. And I just thought it was such a cool way to get to know a brand and get to know a person and then get to like get information that was helpful to me. And sometimes I would hear something and it would just turn my whole mindset and it was just so helpful to me. And, you know, we've been doing this for some 20 years and I thought, what better way, what better platform to share all of those stories than to do it in a podcast. So the podcast will be launching on March 28th on a Tuesday, and it's going to be coming out weekly. And it's going to be small business, entrepreneur stuff, some ice cream stuff. Um, we're going to do an episode. Uh, I haven't actually asked my husband, but I will all and tell him that he's doing an episode <laughs> with me about what it's like to work with your spouse or if you're trying to work with a friend, um, we've got episodes talking about um, finding a mentor, um, some real tactical things, but then really just sharing stories of things that have come along the way, um, whether it's talking about you know, regulatory things or how do you face challenges? How do you keep coming back when it feels like every, the world keeps beating you down? Um, and just really wanting to be like your small business friend telling you that it's all going to be okay. And it's really okay if you cry every day because it's hard <laughs> and just trying to debunk what it's like to be an entrepreneur, because you can, you can see it all over social media and it's presented a certain way, but um, I really would like to uncover, you know, what it, what it really feels like and what are the really hard parts, but what are the really great parts and, you know, some tactical ways on like how, how we did it, you know, what are tools that we use in our own business that help us function and maybe one nugget of information can reach one person and it'll help them. And I'll feel, I'll feel pretty satisfied about that. If that's the case. Uh, I was going to say, just, just following along on on your social, you can always tell that being a small business owner can be fun for those in Kentucky. You know, the the storms that rolled through knocked out power. And with ice cream, you kind of have to have power to keep things frozen. Yes. And you had yes. to kind of pivot on True. the on the spot. Yeah, yeah. Always challenges. And, you know, even after doing this for so long, it just, it those challenges don't end. And 
even though we have experience, it, it's still hard. And I don't know that maybe someday we'll be able to kick back and, and, you know, relax a little bit, but even still, it's just, it's an ongoing process. Well, and, and like I said, you got the podcast, you've got multiple locations for Crank and Boom, Bobby Cones. Um, what's next for y'all? Anything else? Or, or is it, we, we're staying put for now and, and just having some more fun. <laughs> yeah, I think honestly, you know, we have little kids, you know what that's like. Um, they're only going to be little for so long. And so the thought of traveling to go, you know, open a store somewhere just doesn't honestly sound super appealing to me right now. I just want to, I want to be here. I'm taking my kid to a swim lesson later. I just, I want to be present for that. And, you know, not that people can't do that and, and have family at the same time, but that's just where my priorities are. And I want to still work hard in the business and, and I want to make this podcast successful. I hope it can reach lots of people. And I want to continue to invest in our team and spend time really, you know, doing the, you know, making our stores that we have the best that they can be. So it's just, you know, we're gearing up for summer now. So just trying to get everything lined up, then summer will hit and then we'll get ready for Christmas. We'll start talking about Christmas here in June, July. So it just, <laughs> there's always something to do for sure. But yeah, no, no new locations on the horizon at this point. And just excited about the podcast and hanging out and being a mom. Hey, there's nothing wrong with, with, with any of that. And, and Tao, I, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk crank and boom and, and all the successes that you've had and being able to give back and so much more. Thank you. And thank you for having me and for helping to spread the message of what we're doing and, and hope that it can be fun and entertaining and maybe inspiring to somebody else. Find more from Hops and Spirits at hopspirits.com. Thanks, everybody. Bye.